0: So, I had some questions And this is going to be a little bit different from what I normally do First off, it's probably going to be a Patreon subscriber bonus Okay So if you listen to this, you're probably one of the, like the four subscribers I have on Patreon Thank you for your support <laughs> Please don't leave me And so this has all come about because I watched uh, the Joe Rogan podcast with Edward Snowden And he made claims to being a whistleblower that... It was unlikely he would be able to get a fair trial because of how he was being charged under the uh, Espionage Act. And so I have called in legal boss Fatty Hello. to explain it to me. So he gave me a lovely link uh, entitled The Espionage Act and National Security Whistleblower After Garcetti. Um,
1: so uh, Garcetti is a, is a Supreme Court case where they talked about the interplay of the Espionage Act, and the national Se- and basically just national security whistleblowing cases. Um, and it was a case in 2008, and I think that's pretty timely because it was before the Trump administration, mm-hmm. but it was very forward-looking, and it was kind of in the midst of a lot of the Obama-era um, whistleblower cases. Um, yeah,
0: uh, that would have been just after the Bush wiretapping mm-hmm. scandals, like, right, where... Whistleblowing for things that had been approved by high branches of the executive office uh, had just been come out or leaked, right? Like, that's the controversy there. Right. And so I look at these kind of protections for whistleblowers would have been timely moving forward because that's kind of a thing that's just seemingly become more and more often or more necessary. Sure. And, and
1: I think before we continue, I should add a caveat that... I'm by no means a legal expert in uh, whistleblowing litigation or whistleblower protections or the Espionage Act. Right. Um, right. You know, it's it is um, something that I, you know, as as an attorney, I did some research on, and so. Um, I, I will be speaking from my research, but certainly not my substantive experience. So please don't take this as like expert legal advice or or anything like that. <laughs> no, um, no, but if, but the if. the law review article that you mentioned it's from American University, um, and I think it just does a really good job of kind of analyzing and discussing the interplay between whistleblowing, national security whistleblowing, and the Espionage mm.
0: Act. To continue with your caveat, we are not lawyer. Well, you're a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. Please not take this as legal advice. Please contact your lawyer if you're considering whistleblowing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: not, please don't contact me if you're considering whistleblowing. I don't want to hear about it whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess just a little bit of history over the past, like, uh, 100 plus years. So the Espionage Act, which you can find for, for all of you, you pseudo legal experts out there, um, if you look at... 18 USC or 18 United States Code Chapter 37, that is the Whistleblower Act. It's actually very, very short. It it it'll take you about five minutes to read the entire thing. But it really came up after uh, World War One, and arguably the the original intent of the of the law was to protect the United States against wartime espionage and making sure that citizens or residents of the United States do not provide national security secrets, military secrets to our enemies. Um, and a lot of the things that were specifically included in the Espionage Act were things like photographs of defense installations and and uh, transmissions and wires and things like that. Then we have the the whistleblower, like a number of whistleblower protection acts, um, and there are both federal and state statutes that protect whistleblowing. And really, it's it's really meant for public employees to be protected from retaliation against, their, uh, against the government, who who would be their employer, when they're basically pointing out, you know, unsavory or just wrong or unethical or illegal things that other members of the government, including higher ups, are are doing. The reason these two acts come into play is because, whereas the Espionage Act is there to protect the United States against revealing secrets as to national security what if someone is trying to whistleblow on something involving national security? And that's where you have like Chelsea Manning and and Edward Snowden and, and people like that coming in. So just a background on Edward Snowden, he he was an NSA uh, contractor. So he, he was employed as an independent contractor on behalf of the NSA. He had, I, I think he worked for like Dell before that. And he had all of this information on... These international surveillance programs that were being conducted by the United States, and where other companies, and I think, like telecom providers, and I think even like dell and and maybe some other companies, were kind of helping to facilitate in this international surveillance program. He basically had all of this data, and then he leaked it to not leaked. Uh, I, I don't want to use the word leak um because he he says that he's not a leaker. He's a whistleblower. that's that's his own right. statement. he He gave the information to the press and he fleed to Hong Kong and I think later Russia where, where, where he is now. So the way the laws kind of play together just uh, 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 at a very base level is, you know, these were national security secrets and they are clearly protected under the Espionage Act and he gave them to someone who was not authorized to receive them. Edward Snowden's argument is, well, you know he found something that was corrupt and wrong and so he he blew the lid on it and he gave the information to the media in order to to protect the public and so it has a public so it, it was in the public interest for him to do what he did
0: yeah but he also looked at weighing national security versus public interest and he he the, he, he gave it to i think three journalists mm-hmm. is what he says uh with the rules of he's only like they are only to report on the things that are of note to public interest not just because they're a good story but because the public has a has concern over the unlawful acts being pertained in the documents sure. and then he also advised them to make sure that uh before they release a, an article and as far as he is aware like as far as he says he's aware that they've always followed these rules, but to contact the government and say, will this compromise national security in any way? And if it's true, of course, which they give, like, we can either confirm nor deny. But, <laughs> uh, you know, trying to make sure that the information that does get released is also weighed against national security. Like, he still takes that very seriously. Uh, it's not just about getting all these documents out there and being like, everyone have a look. Right.
1: I think getting into the specifics of the laws, mm-hmm. the Espionage Act prohibits the transmission of these this sorts of information to mm-hmm. anyone who is not authorized to have that information. Yes. Um, and so it's a very broad restriction. And it really prevents mm-hmm. people from, or insiders, let's say, from providing this information to the press or the public or putting it on, on their blog or just disseminating it or, you know, foreign foreign enemies um, as was the original intention of the espionage act right. and when you look at whistleblower protections that qualification is still in whistleblower protections mm. even if you're a whistleblower you're not authorized to give the information to someone who isn't authorized to have it. (laughs) Um, Right. You know, a lot of times whistleblower protections come up in cases of employment discrimination or private wrongs being committed by public officials. So, for example, you know, I'm a federal employee, and if I see... You know my my boss if, if i see like a federal judge for example who's like sexually harassing or in, uh, you know employees or embezzling money or taking bribes or doing something corrupt like that this is information that i possess as a public employee right as a government employee that information isn't it's not classified it's not a national security secret you know, There's no restriction on who can know this information. And so if I report this federal judge or this federal employee or like whoever to the press or to the EEOC or to the court or, or, or someone, mm-hmm. I can fall under whistleblower protections because I'm not disseminating information that and giving it to someone who is not authorized to have it. When we talk about whether or not information is restricted, it could be restricted by law. It could be deemed confidential by, you know, the intelligence community, obviously, the executive branch. Congress can decide that something is uh, restricted. <clears throat> the president can issue an executive order calling something restricted. So it, it, it really is a case-by-case basis. But when we talk about information coming from the intelligence community, most of that information is already confidential. You know, it's already mm. deemed confidential because these are national security secrets. And so it's all, it has already been designated restricted information. And so it falls outside of whistleblower protections. And that's part of the problem that whistleblowers have in the intelligence community.
0: Mm.
1: So just going back to that article that I, that I sent you, there is a more recent Federal Whistleblower Protection Act called the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act of 1998. Mm-hmm. And if for those interested, if you guys just Google that phrase, you'll, you'll be able to read the entire act. And it basically provides additional avenues for members of the intelligence community to whistleblow on that type of restricted sensitive information. But once again, it's limited because that act permits those. Public employees to report that sort of restricted information to either Congress, um, and I think it's specifically the Intelligence Subcommittee and like certain members of Congress. So not everyone, but also the Office of the Inspector General and I think certain intel, like people within certain intelligence agencies. So once again, you know, you you're you're not able to. Um, just give it to anyone, right? You have to give it to yeah. certain certain people authorized to receive that information.
0: Yeah, the, the people that you can disseminate the information to would have to still have clearance for it.
1: Exactly. Actually. Exactly. Right.
0: These are, so these are the these are the, like the legal channels of whistleblowing, right? Of which the protection falls under. Even with this, I st- like some someone like uh, Edward Snowden couldn't still give it to journalists and be protected by this at all, like. Still no protection for him under this.
1: That's that's right. That's right. And, you know, just pros and cons of that. I think one positive thing um, is that when you have legitimate secrets as to national security, should we really be letting private citizens decide to disseminate all of this information, right? Like, God forbid somebody has, you know, satellite images of, you know, U.S. military bases and U.S., you know, defense installations, and they're like, oh, I'm going to whistleblow, and they put it on their blog, and all of a sudden, you know, all of this private, very sensitive information is on the Internet for anyone to, to take. That is the situation that's contemplated by the Espionage Act and its amendments, and I think it is very important that, you know, that sort of information is protected, and it really isn't up to, like, private citizens to decide you know which national security secrets <laughs> should should you know should be kept private and that's why these acts set up these very specific channels to make sure that you know the right information is getting out you know if for one citizen to decide what information is public or private you know it it really also goes against kind of our our, our democratic political process because we have you know we have selected one way or another people to make those decisions the president can declassify things. Intelligence agencies can declassify things. Our elected members of Congress can provide this information. Why are we allowing Joe Schmo or just like any single person to, to decide what is and is not confidential? That's the government's position. Uh, the other side, and this is something that's also contemplated in, in that law review article I sent, what if the higher ups in government are in on it <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. what if what if you know the off, the offices of the inspector general and actually let, let me just step back a moment when i say oig office of the inspector general these are offices within and officers within different federal agencies that are tasked with internal investigations as well as just investigations in general. So if there's like corruption going on inside of an agency, you would go to that OIG and you, you can make reports. And if they need to investigate something external that has to do with their agency, they, they can do that as well. So anyway, uh, but what if the OIG is in on it? What if the president is in on it? What if the director of the NSA is in on it, right? And that's what happened with Edward Snowden. And so basically his argument is... The whistleblower protection acts are inadequate to protect against whistleblowing when private citizens need it the most. Mm-hmm. And you know whether or not that's true. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing now. And I think these cases with like Edward Snowden and the other whistle, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, self-proclaimed whistleblowers are are testing are testing that theory.
0: Mm, definitely.
1: There's another interesting interplay that comes up, mm. and I think this really had to do. With Garcetti, which was that case we we mentioned earlier, it, it has mm-hmm. to do with First Amendment protections. So, for for any of our you know our our, our international uh, friends who are listening to this, <laughs> when we talk about United States First Amendment protections, you know that's the freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of expression, uh, petition, assembly, mm-hmm. religion, all that good stuff. And the Supreme, you know, over the past 200, 250 years. Um, The Supreme Court really has um, framed when someone has freedom of press, freedom uh, freedom of expression. And when we talk about whistleblowing, we are talking about members of the government. And the question is, the First Amendment is supposed to protect private citizens? it doesn't protect the government. It's it's not a protection for the government. It's a protection against the government. But what mm-hmm. happens when you have private citizens who are the government? You know, what what then? like, you know, does the president have freedom of speech? Well, certainly as a private citizen, he does. But what about like the office of the president? Or like, do I have freedom of speech? Like I'm a federal employee mm-hmm. and I work for the judiciary. So what would happen if like, I start spouting all of this like political biased statements, and then somebody comes to court and says like Oh, well, this guy is like you know super leaning this way. Like you know, I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to discriminate against me. Th- those are valid concerns. Mm-hmm. And totally. so, as a as a federal employee, I have limited um, First Amendment protections, and mm-hmm. when I am acting as a private citizen. You know, I, I have some more protections, but the idea is, even when I'm not at work, I'm still a public employee. I'm still a, I still work for the courts, right. and so there are extra, or what I should say is, there are. I I have lowered or diminished First Amendment protections than say, mm-hmm. you know, just someone, uh, just a, a random private citizen working at a private job. Right. So when we right. talk about so, so now we have this whole asp- like uh, 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 First Amendment question coming into uh, coming into play here, and whether or not the Espionage Act violates the First Amendment by mm. over restricting public employees' First Amendment rights. And so that's this whole other question that, like, that Edward Snowden is coming in and saying that you know the espionage is too broad, it's overreaching because it is affecting my First Amendment rights. So that's that's like another layer of analysis that's going
0: on. Okay, so I'm read I, like I did I did read through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it is very legally dense. <laughs> I no less than four times had to stop to like Google a word. Mm-hmm. So forgive me if I don't understand. No worries. Things. But we're seeing Pickering v. Board of Education, mm-hmm. which was, uh, from, if I remember correctly, read through this, it was supposed to try and help balance the, r- the right to free speech of an, a public op- employee mm-hmm. versus whether or not the public's concern on the matter. Mm-hmm. Would Edward Snowden's case fall somewhere under that where w- the information that he did release falls heavily into concern of public interest versus him being a public employee it it would have but that's kind
1: of the significance of the Garcetti case because the Garcetti case walked back from Pickering so once again so these are Supreme Court cases that are framing the First Amendment and and really establishing on a case-by-case basis like how far it should reach and you know whether we should ex- expand it or walk it back so just going back to Pickering and going back to like my personal Rights as a, as a public employee mm-hmm. under the First Amendment, the, the, the courts will ask, you know uh, what is the public's interest in hearing what I have to say about a certain matter? That's the matters of public interest concern, as opposed mm-hmm. to the public's interest in, in the government not overreaching with its speech. so' that's, that's kind of the balancing test, right In Garcetta, uh, excuse me, Garcetti. The court basically abandoned <laughs> the Pickering test <laughs> right. uh, for employees when they're in their professional duties, uh, when they're when they when they're in their professional capacity. So what that means is, um, you know, when I get off work and I'm on Facebook or I'm on whatever whatever social media platform the kids are using these days. MySpace or Zanga or I, I don't I don't know
0: right uh, yeah I mean, yeah. Bebo.
1: Um, mm-hmm. yeah and you know I'm I'm tweeting or, or or whatever about like oh man I hate you know cilantro this is the worst you know <laughs> you know can can the court come in and can the government come in and be like hey you can't talk about cilantro like that well no I mean because you know I'm home I'm not acting as a public employee acting as a private citizen so then they're going to be like okay so what's really what's the what's the balance here. Um, and and for that situation, you know, of course, I can say like, oh, I hate cilantro because there's really no interest in the government saying otherwise, and you know, it's it's such a de minimis thing, like it, it really doesn't matter. So that's that's pickering, but then with Garcetti, the court said, okay, but what about when a when a when a citizen is specifically acting within their capacity as a public as a as a public employee? Mm. So when I'm like. Sitting in court, right? Mm-hmm. Can I really say like, "Oh, I disagree with this law"? Uh, no. And you know, I think mm-hmm. the, I think society has a very strong interest in making sure that like, you know, especially judicial employees don't communicate like political biases, and they don't comment on like pending matters, and they don't reveal confidential information because, you know, we need to administer justice in a fair way, and I think the, you know, the public has a very strong interest in that whatever the case, the court basically said, all right, well, when you're acting in your capacity as a public employee, you're, you're essentially the government, and we're not going to apply this balancing test. We're just going to say no. So bringing that back to Edward Snowden, he had this confidential information as part of his duties as a federal contractor. So when he, when he possessed this confidential information, which he did lawfully, Mm -hmm. Um, And when he not only possessed it, but also controlled the information, he wasn't doing so as a private citizen. He was doing so as as a public contractor, a public employee. Right. And when he was manipulating the information and I don't mean like um, uh, uh, altering altering, I mean, like when when he was physically like moving the information, when he was disseminating it and sharing it, he was once again doing so as a, you know, in his official capacity. So his argument that, you know, there's a strong public interest in, 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 in the public hearing this information, you know, whether or not that's true, the Garcetti case essentially says, well, it doesn't matter because we don't look about we don't look at balance. Uh, we don't we don't look at the balancing test when you're acting as a public uh, employee. So it doesn't matter if the public has an interest in it. And the government's argument would again be, when we're in the government, we have these official channels to disseminate this information properly. What mm. he did was, he went against those official channels. And, you know, arguing again, Edward Snowden made the argument that, well, you know, he tried to, he, like, he brought it to the attention of, um, internal channels, and he he gave it to you know the higher ups, and I think he gave it to the Office of the Inspector General, and you know he did what he was trying to do, but they weren't acting on it. They they were just brushing him off, which is why he took matters right. into his own hands.
0: Well, okay, so the reason why he eventually took matters into his own hand is he found a document called unpublished final draft from the Inspector General about Stella Wynn mm-hmm. which was uh, I believe the Bush administration's. Illegal wiretapping program Uh, And he had found an unredacted version That was completely different To the one that had been delivered to Congress Mm -hmm. Right The one that was redacted But this one was very different And had clearly been changed after The Inspector General And so Mm -hmm. His thoughts were On that was Essentially of This guy's in on it To some degree Mm Mm-hmm or at least this is an official channel that I cannot use viably, right? And the public concern over this was so massive that it it required action.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that 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 was
1: really the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. So that was another report. That was that was a part of what he gave to the Washington Post and the Guardian, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So. I think the government's argument would be, under the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act, he could have given that to Congress. And I think Mm -hmm. that, like, Congress does not like being lied to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think, and and the government would say, I think the government would say, you know, if Edward Snowden followed the Whistleblower Protection Act and Mm -hmm. gave this to the proper channel, which in this case would have been Congress you know, that would have fallen under whistleblower protection because then he would have been authorized to do so. And that's what he should have done instead of taking matters into his own hands and giving this confidential report to the Washington Post and, and the Guardian. Mm-hmm. But of course, Edward Snowden would make the argument that you just made, like, this is, this is too much. It's too much of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of a public interest concern. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the courts would come back and say, well, that inquiry doesn't come into play because you're acting as the government, essentially. You're not acting as a private citizen.
0: Mm -hmm. I I, I might be misremembering, but I just when I read in here that even if he was to have given this information to Congress, the people he could have potentially given it to might not have been able to even act on it legally, but there there are uh, reasons why that process can also be slow as they then have to work through official channels as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. they do. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Because the solution essentially would have been for Congress to make a law, and that takes a long time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, like, is, you know, is that good or is that bad? Um, I don't know. I mean, y- you know, going, yeah. going back to the, you know, the the founding of the Constitution um, and mm-hmm. and the way we structured our government, we made it deliberately slow. I mm-hmm. think, you know, when we talk about checks and balances and separation of powers people for you know i I think people overlook the fact that the federal bureaucracy which you know is 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 typically very looked down on is actually a very powerful check on the government's power
0: You don't want them to be able to like, turn over everything in a day, basically. Yeah, right. exactly. Slow and steady wins the race, I think, is the idea there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know,
1: why, why do we have two houses of Congress? And, you know, why do they both have to agree on things? Well, because if we have one, that's too much power for 100 people. That's why we have, you know, an upper house and a lower house and, you know, they're elected separately and in different ways and their votes carry different uh, uh, weight. It's because we want it to be slow. We want everything to to, to check itself in the government. And, you know, Edward Snowden would come back and and basically his argument is that the law is inadequate to protect what he did. Like he's saying Mm -hmm. he's right. He did the right thing. The public needs to hear this. This is is a concern of public interest. This is a concern of national security. This is government corruption. And he was right in doing what he did. And the law is inadequate to protect him, and the law should protect him. As far as what the law says, it appears that the law is not on his side. Um, you have Pickering and Garcetti, which kind of go against him. You have the limitations of the Whistleblower Protections Act, which go against him. You have the Espionage Act, which, you know, is, is, is quite broad. But once again, it, you know, it's, it's a good law. If we think it's too broad, then, you know, it really is up to the president to issue executive orders giving additional protection. It's up to Congress, you know, passing a new law or amending it. It's up to the Justice Department to say, like, you know what, we're not going to prosecute him. So, you know, it, it, it seems that mm. the law really isn't on his side. And what he's calling mm. for is, you know, a change in the law. And that's interesting right. because, you know, that really is the heart of civil disobedience. Very rarely is civil disobedience legal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to make the argument that, you know, the law says something, therefore it is Right. And, you know, going back to the civil rights movement, well, certainly that can't be the case because, you know, we used to have systemic discrimination legalized and that mm-hmm. was wrong and we needed civil, civil disobedience to change that. Mm-hmm. Same with like war protesters. And, you know, that's why we have Title VII, which is kind of the colloquial term for our, our Civil Rights Act and civil rights protections. So I, I guess the, the outcome is that what he did was probably not legal, and mm-hmm. you know he, he falls outside of the necessary protections, and he falls outside of the First Amendment, and outside of whistleblower protections, and probably within the Espionage Act. But his actions are an act of civil disobedience to illustrate, in his opinion, how the law is inadequate to fight what he deems to be an injustice acted on by the government.
0: Right. I don't disagree with anything you said, but the specific phrasing makes it sound like he saw an issue with the law about whistleblowers, and that wasn't the case entire like at all, right? Going into that, it wasn't about whistleblowers. It's kind of become this thing about whistleblowers and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some people are like he needs to come back to America and be charged, which he says he's willing to do, but he wants a fair trial. And that's that's essentially what we're discussing here. Mhm but what he did like the information in the documents that he leaked was actually uh, about bulk collection and public surveillance which is something that is incredibly scary to to like imagine by itself and i think the the public interest there is very heavily in his favor and the part that i was specifically interested in which why all this started was him describing the strict liability crime that he would be charged with and that when he goes to trial he would not be able to use the word whistleblower these are all from him i have no legal Mm -hmm. uh, expertise on whether or not this is true but he wouldn't be able to use the word whistleblower and the jury would not even be allowed to consider whether like his motivations whether or not it was in the public's benefit any of this only whether or not he did commit a crime which as we've now discussed (laughs) He did, or <laughs> is in favor that he did. Most most likely, you know. Most likely. Most likely. Yes. Um.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's tough, and it. it so those those types of statements are coming from, kind of a, a lot of different. Um, or I guess those legal opinions are coming from a lot of different sources. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, as as far as like not being able to discuss, you know, whether or not like use the word whistleblower and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I certainly don't know the intricacies of what his lawyers have found, but mm-hmm. it sounds to me, and just drawing on my, my litigation experience, um, it sounds to me that because whistleblowing, because he falls outside of the Whistleblower Protection Act, and or mm-hmm. acts, I should say, then he is precluded from using that as a defense because he doesn't fall into the defense, and I think that's already established and so Mm -hmm. drumming up these issues that have already been decided about whether or not he was a whistleblower is an issue of confusion and prejudice Mm -hmm. basically when you're when you're in a trial and and this is true for criminal civil like big small federal state whatever when you're in a trial um you can't bring up irrelevant issues that will confuse the finder of fact or waste time and if you establish that like you're not entitled to this defense then that's an issue that you know can potentially confuse the issues or confuse the finder of fact confuse the trier of fact or or waste time mm-hmm. and you know there was probably a motion in limine somewhere that says like let's not even use that because it's so irrelevant and it's just going to like the phrases inflame the passions of the jury <laughs> like they they're, they're going to be which means like you know, they're going to be so mad and worked up about an uh, uh, an issue that isn't relevant that mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to focus on the task right. at hand. And then as far as um, considering his like motivations and things like that, um, that really does go back to the strict liability standard of the Espionage Act. Right. Because once again, the Espionage Act doesn't contemplate like your intentions you know, because, you can. You know, let's go back to World War I, and if, if you say, well, you know, you know I, I gave this, you know, if, if someone is trying to say that they gave confidential information to the Axis because, you know, they really believe in the message of the Axis, you know, it's public <laughs> interest, you know, like, no, of course, like, no, that's, that's, a, that's the whole point of the espionage act, right? right? Like, no, that's not what we think right. about. It's, it's really, like, you know, what, what you did. And, and I think that's why they, they, they really don't consider it. So once again, like, that's an issue of whether or not the Espionage Act is really too broad and, and if the strict liability standard is really too much, especially when we're in peacetime. Like, we're, not, we're mm-hmm. not in a time of war. Although some would argue that, like, you know, even though there's no official declaration of war, we're still fighting, you know, military combatants who are trying to destroy the United States, and that's why this information is so sensitive Um, And it's really Mm -hmm. not for one person to decide what does and does not get disseminated. So that's that. And then uh, another like trial complication is the fact that a lot of the essential information, I don't know about essential, but a lot of the important information in these types of trials are also classified. Um, So just, just for my, my cursory uh, research of a lot of these cases, um, It's hard to get relevant information to use in the trial because a lot of that will also be classified. And it's, you know, if, if the government has already decided that the most relevant information that was disseminated has al- is already restricted and classified and confidential, then you know, you can't really use that in the trial. <laughs> and then, you know, you have all of this information ancillary to that, which could also be classified, and you have like private communications and emails and and, and and things like that. You know, it's it's very hard to to gather that that evidence. And you know, this this comes up a lot as well. The Sixth Amendment guarantees citizens the right to a public trial. Mm -hmm. And there's this expectation that when you're being tried for a crime outside of like military crimes or military tribunals, like the public has the right to watch the trial. And, you know, it, Mm. it, it gets a little weird when you when you think that, like, you know, what if what if you don't what if the defendant doesn't want a trial to be watched? Like, what if this is really like private sensitive information? Can they waive their Sixth Amendment right? And the idea is, you know, if we start allowing secret trials then then we're going to get secret trials, right? And that's, that, that, <laughs> right. that's you, like, you know, no, 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 no. We, we don't, we, that's, that's too much. So what happens when you have a defendant's right to a speedy and public trial, which deals with national security secrets? And th- yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, case law out there on like working with classified information and whether um, the government has to turn over classified information in, Discovery And discovery is the information gathering process leading up to a trial. And courts have mm-hmm. continually said that, like, you know, if it's a matter of public, of, of, of national security and it's confidential, then there's a stronger interest in restricting that information and, and, and keeping it out of the public's eyes. And, you know, it's very hard to get that information. So, so another concern with intelligence whistleblowing cases is this idea that the relevant information, that they need to defend themselves can also be kept confidential.
0: Well, this is running a little longer than I thought it would, so just to (laughs) wrap up, do you even think it would be possible to find a jury of people that wouldn't know Edward Snowden's motivations, right? If if that's deemed irrelevant to the, the process and it's not being looked at during the trial, would it even be possible to get a jury that isn't aware of this at this point? I think so. You think so? I think so. Okay. I think that,
1: um, you know, first of all, you can waive the right to a jury trial. You can have what's called a bench trial. So you can have just a judge try your case, um, okay. which, you know, advantages and disadvantages, fine. Because it is just one person. Right? Right. Right. Um, but, you know, whether that's better or worse, I'm, I, I don't really know. Mm. And then as far, you know, if it's, I, I'm, I'm not certain how it would be tried. Because like if it's a military tribunal, then then the the rules are are, are very different. And since you know, I'm I'm not certain how <laughs> members of the intelligence community are tried in these cases. Um, okay. If it's something like that, or if it's like an administrative hearing, or you know, if he's if he goes before an NSA panel or something, like I, I'm I'm not sure if it really does come down to like a public jury trial, then. Hmm. You know, jury selections, you get like hundreds or like thousands of people and you have to pick 15, you know, you have to pick 12 mm-hmm. to 15 people. You can definitely find people who are unaware of that. You know, maybe they've heard of Edward Snowden, but they don't really know what's going on. You know, they have no opinion one way or the other, and they're just trying to do the right thing. You know, and, you know, these sophisticated or unsophisticated. or And yeah, I don't I don't use those colloquially. I, I, I use them um Legally, like, you know, you can get a sophisticated right. juror who's familiar with the law, an unsophisticated juror who's not familiar with the law. You know, you can you can find them. It'll be hard. It'll definitely be hard. And I think a good comparison is a lot of the other kind of like high profile cases that we've seen in the past uh 20 or 30 years where, uh, you know, just with the advent of like legal broadcasting, right? I'm thinking like the O.J. Simpson trial for example like everyone knew about O.J. Simpson but like you know they were still able to find a jury that was you know uh, unfamiliar with it but you know even even that has its shortcomings so I think my answer to that is I think it would be possible question Um. mark
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay that's a that's a yes asterisk maybe asterisk no (laughs) select which one applies all right well thank you for joining me Thank you for uh, talking to me for 50 minutes about legal stuff. Of course.
1: Happy to do it. Thank you for having me.